0: In 1977, in England, there was a funeral held where there was in attendance five homeless alcoholics and John Maynard Smith and William Hamilton, arch enemies, who were also the two greatest evolutionary biologists of their generation. What man could be so audacious as to collect such a funeral party? It was a man who was defined throughout his life by a ruthless piercing intelligence, a relentless commitment and grit like gravel rash. And with the tragedy of circumstance, it was those very qualities that led him to pay the ultimate price, or for the purposes of this talk, what we may call the George Price. 53 years before his death, George Price emerged from his mother. The year was 1922. New York. Alcohol prohibition was in full effect. Isaac Keller was serving at the bar. And mercury was still being used to treat syphilis, but only after first scrubbing well with nail polish remover. Mum was a former opera singer. Dad was a lighting designer who died when George was four. And the family struggled through the Great Depression. But from the outset, George's character shone. He came second in his public school, but was first in his maths class, first in chess, and was the only student to note the lack of rational explanation for a God figure, and dedicated himself immediately to a rigid atheism. While applying at Harvard University, his interviewer noted, he may go haywire, but he certainly won't be humdrum. (laughs) He ended up studying chemistry at the University of Chicago and, like all brilliant chemists of the time, joined a small venture called the Manhattan Project. He was tasked with measuring uranium in urine. And two desks over, there was one Julia Madigan, who apparently found this to be quite a turn on. (laughs) The two were quickly married, although so caught up in the wonders of radioactive pee, they might have forgotten to talk about other things that might be important in their marriage. You see, Julia was as devout a Catholic as George was an atheist. And they devoutly bickered for the, for the following eight years before divorcing. George would maintain good contact with his daughters for the remainder of his life. Throughout this time, George would continue to follow his voracious, if perhaps rigid, mind wherever it led him, no matter how against the grain. When ESP and psychic powers were getting a nod in some of the top science journals, he wrote letters to debunk their lack of rigorous evidence and reason. He also turned, still rigidly, to matters social and political. He foreshadowed a design machine that sounds remarkably like the Microsoft Surface Pro and warned the the US Senate of their imminent decline in the face of Soviet Russia. But he had a remedy which, according to his concrete reasoning, would, of course, work. The Soviets would liberate Hungary, would release Hungary from the Union in return for the US buying every Russian citizen, not one, but two pairs, two pairs of high-quality shoes at a cost of approximately $2 billion. He moved on to work for IBM, programming computers and modelling free markets, until he was struck down with thyroid cancer. He entrusted a friend to perform the operation. Never, if you have have a doctor friend, never see them about your problems. Um, The operation was botched, leaving him with permanent arm weakness. Forever ahead ahead of his time, he sued, resulting in a significant payout. And whether the fright of cancer or the thought of impending mortality or the handsome bank balance, he decided once again to seek out his great contribution to science, this time in England. And with the intense commitment that we've come to expect from George, he wasted no time seeking out all the popular landmarks. In a letter to his daughters, he wrote, Dear babies, I've seen quite a lot of London so far, including the British Museum Library, the Museum of Natural History Library, the University of London Library, the University College Library, the Wellcome Historical Medical Library, and the Science and Technology Library. Soon I hoped to visit the Royal College of Surgeons library and the Royal Zoological Society. His priorities were clear. It was in his library readings that George first encountered the field where he would make his great contribution, evolutionary biology, and specifically how, in the face of the selfish gene, humans might be kind to one another. It was a problem suited perfectly to his time. Enough after Darwin for the ideas to marinate a little bit, and enough before our modern present day that humans were still sometimes kind to each other. Darwin had explained the evolution of altruism with some hand-waving about group selection, where somehow helping the group was beneficial to the individual, even when it wasn't. Enter William Hamilton, the most eminent evolutionary biologist to follow Darwin, who was having none of that woo-woo, kumbaya, hand-waving. He suggested nepotistic altruism, where altruism could exist, but only in proportion to the amount of genetic material shared. Ergo, I could reasonably sacrifice my life for one identical twin, two siblings, or eight cousins. (laughs) For Hamilton, it was all about the gene. During one of his library visits, George read part of this paper and wrote to Hamilton, requesting the full manuscript. Hamilton was welcoming, but less than helpful. He had run out of manuscripts, and he would be out of contact for nine months on a research trip to Brazil. George was not dissuaded and redoubled his grit. Like a Mozart being sent to his room for misbehaviour, Price worked in solitude over summer, with all that grit, intelligence, and emerged with his sonata, The Price Equation, which completely disproved Hamilton. George took his equation to be checked by the genetics department at University College London and emerged 90 minutes later with an honorary appointment and keys to an office. The well-named Cedric Smith, a biostatistician, said, the equation is very interesting, very pretty, and I've never seen anything like it before. When Hamilton returned from Brazil, George wrote to him, with a curiously British mix of condescension and tact. I did want, in view of your friendly correspondence, and because I respected your work, and because everyone makes a mistake now and then, to publish in a way that would not embarrass you. What a guy. With this overture, Hamilton took took some convincing, but the equation was too devastatingly effective. It was an entirely novel approach, describing the likelihood of a trait being passed on using a covariance between the trait within an individual and the number of offspring that individual would have. Essentially, the equation is a tautology, but a mathematically elegant one. And it contained the ability to integrate many levels of selection at once, liberating it from Hamilton's DNA-centric worldview. So it could, at the same time, describe selection of genes within an individual, or selection of individuals within a group, groups within societies, memes on the internet, or microbes in the gut. The equation was flexible enough to model the complexity and and competing interests we encounter in everyday life. It could explain, for example, how the myxomatosis virus, which had been released on our very own shores to get them pesky rabbits how that had actually evolved, the virus, to become less deadly. If it was too deadly, the rabbit would die too fast and the virus couldn't be transmitted. So evolution actually favoured the less virulent virus. And Price's equation was able to account for both the virulence of the virus as well as the likelihood of the rabbit to pass it on. I still don't think the equation explains the curious incident of altruism that actually evolved between our two protagonists. Hamilton wanted to ensure Price as the novice in evolutionary biology got the recognition he deserved. They devised a cunning plan. Price submitted his paper to the top journal Nature. It was rejected as expected. Big name Hamilton, then submits a paper utilising the price equation to Nature, which is accepted. Hamilton writes to Nature, saying he would not want to publish without due credit going to Price. Nature accepts Price's paper. Bam, take that, biased academia. (laughs) It was at the same time that George was in a parallel interaction with John Maynard Smith. Boo, everyone say boo. who was the archenemy of Hamilton, based on all the usual jealousy and petty competition. But John Maynard Smith, in his own words, said, I have a curious habit of being stimulated by the journal articles that I review. (laughs) George's second great uh, contribution to evolutionary biology with Maynard Smith was the application of game theory to animal behaviour that the most advantageous, advantageous behaviour of an animal could depend on the behaviour of other animals. The article was deliciously titled Antlers Interspecific Conflict and Altruism, and was also accepted by nature. And so it was that George finally began to achieve the success he had always hoped for. Though, for those like George, with their restless minds and insatiable grit, good times don't sit easy or last long it's a little unclear exactly what triggered the next turn of events. Some say he made the error that has repeatedly caused great guises of human misery, namely, mistaking economic theory for truth. <laughs> and that he was greatly troubled that all, the worldly at, that all worldly altruism could be written off as evolutionary gain. More accepted is that he began to calculate the odds of all the events of his life, all the coincidences, leading up to the point where to the point where he, a chemist, would outline the price equation. He he, he calculated the odds as one in 1,030, which he thought was too astronomically low to have occurred by chance. Some say he just stopped taking his thyroid medication. (laughs) What we do know is that, like Natalie Imbruglia, circa 1997, and In a way that only the most rigidly rational can seem to manage, he had a stunning change of heart. Who can guess? In his words, on June 7th, one can't help feeling for his ex-wife. And George being George, he found religion with all his usual intelligence and grit and commitment. He delved into biblical commentary, the maternal lineage of Jesus, the real meaning of the number 666, a 50-page article explaining that Easter was in fact 12 days, not eight. He was reported to run through the corridors of University College London yelling, I have a hotline to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said apparently, give to anyone who asks of you. And he did. He started off with small amounts of charity, some sums of money volunteering his time, but his altruism escalated. He invited the homeless, including a man called Smokey and one called Peg Leg Pete, to stay in his flat until he lost his flat and he lived from squat to squat, but this did not stop his giving. He wrote to John Maynard Smith, I'm now down to exactly 15 pence, and you know it's exactly 15 pence, I look forward eagerly to when that 15 pence will be gone. He was surviving on a single pint of milk per day, not taking his thyroid medication, and became unwell to the point of hospitalization. To George's relentless mind, mind that he survived was God's will and further evidence that he was doing the right thing. The homeless, however, continued to demand help, even to the point of turning up at the university and assaulting George with volleys of obscenities and piss. George wrote in a letter, I expect that one cover-illustrated lead article in Nature compensates for one urination at the front entrance of the building. (laughs) Apparently it did. But his altruism ran unchecked and George became more mentally and physically unwell. In January... 1975 at the age of 53 george was found dead in his squat after committing suicide hamilton attended the place and reflected in his diary i tidied, i tidied what was worth taking into a suitcase his dried blood crackled on the linoleum under my shoes he was basically a tidy man he had chosen to die on the open floor not on his bed which if you were wondering, is how you can attract a funeral party of seven, including the two greatest evolutionary biologists of the day and a man called Peg Lake pete George Price's story is a tragedy, one of unchecked fundamental belief, likely unrecognised mental illness and troubled genius. Over the last decade or so, he is finally beginning to receive credit for his scientific contributions. And despite eventually dying due to his unchecked altruism, he was still able to pass on his genes to his two daughters, who live to this day. I guess the evolutionary biologists still have some work to do. Thank you.